Hi, this is Adam Feinberg, and I am recording for Harlem Stories. Um, unfortunately, my you know my my uh, co-host Mark Becker is not available with us today. Um, but you know we're gonna still give you some great material. Um, I'll miss his banter, but at the same time, I think we can you know have some really interesting conversation here. You know, uh, Morningside Heights, you know, is is our co topic today. We're gonna talk about you know how uh, the neighborhood is so rich uh, in in higher education. Um, and it's, you know, even though it's best known for Columbia University, it's merely one of just many schools in the neighborhood. Uh, by the way, you know, we're, you know, we, we are now going on episodes that are uh, biweekly, you know, rather than the weekly schedule, because, you know, uh, to try and give you great quality material, uh, it does take a tremendous amount of time to, you know, to, uh, you know, come up with the topics and, you know, and, and the raw material. So, you know, I really want to deliver some great material for everyone to listen to. And, you know, uh, as a result, uh, you know, that takes a little longer. So uh, we're going with a bi-weekly schedule going forward. Um, so, you know, back to our topic of Morningside Heights and, you know, just, you know, we've had multiple episodes and some of the history of it. Um, and, and some various different intertwining effects. Uh, it, you know, we, we're, we're past the now release of the movie Oppenheimer, uh, and we talked about how, you know, uh, the Manhattan Project and, you know, the nuclear, uh, you know, some of the nuclear, uh, I guess, research, you know, had taken place in Columbia and Morningside Heights as a result. And there was a n forgotten nuclear lab that has uh, not been active in that nuclear testing lab that has not been active in that capacity for quite some time. Um, but ultimately, you know, uh, the neighborhood is actually quite rich and, you know, in, in academia, uh, there's parks to the east, there's parks to the west. Uh, there's also, you know, uh, Sakura Park just a bit north of the main campus, south of the new campus. Um, and, 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 you know, just going back a, a, a little bit, uh, technically, uh, Morningside uh, Heights is part of West Harlem. Uh, West Harlem, which is made up of the three neighborhoods of Morningside Heights, Manhattanville, and Hamilton Heights, all part of Community District 9. Uh, many people tend to characterize the neighborhood as part of the Upper West Side. Uh, if you're going back in time, it was uh, until the late 1800s when Morningside Park was finally completed. Uh, Morningside is now considered part of the Bloomingdale neighborhood uh, and, you know, which is run from 96 to 110th Street uh, and, and west of Broadway, uh, which that neighborhood really does feel like an extension of the Upper West Side. Um, and then we, we can obviously tie back, you know, some of the you know, the, the, the neighborhood connections, you know, in history going further back. We had an episode where we discussed the Battle, Battle of Harlem Heights versus the British. It was uh, George Washington's army, uh, and, and that was in September of 1776. Uh, while America declared its independence from Britain on July 4th, 1776, the war actually didn't end until 
later on. And the most intense fighting occurred in a sloping wheat field, now part of Barnard College with George Washington leading the Continental Ar Army. And you can find a plaque commemorating this uh, at the gate of 117th and Broadway. Uh, you know, and, uh, you know, so that still remains, you know, uh, on site. Uh, if you're going back to Morningside Heights and, and you know, that early history over there, um, you know, back to the early 1800s, mid, early to mid 1800s, I'd say, it was, the neighborhood was largely undeveloped except for Bloomingdale Insane Asylum and the Leek and Watts Orphan Asylum. And uh, actually, I know when, you know, it might be good for us to bring in uh, on, on a later date, one of our Elgrin agents actually uh, has a family member tied into, you know, that original uh, uh, orphan asylum. So, you know, maybe we can get him in and discuss that in, in an additional episode. Um <clears throat> So um, in, in 1842, the Croton Aqueduct was opened and was above ground in, in the neighborhood. Uh, a gatehouse uh, for that aqueduct still exists at 113th in Amsterdam. Um, and I know that we'll talk about the remnants of the Croton Aqueduct in an, an additional episode at a later point as well. Uh, you know, the landscape designer, Frederick Law Olmsted, who most people, uh, if they are familiar with his name, are familiar with, you know, creating Riverside Park and Central Park. Um, he was hired in 1873 to 1880 to, as I said, design Riverside Drive as well as Riverside Park. And along with Calvert Vox, he also designed uh, Morningside Park, completed in 1895. You know, um, you know, so, you know, this team of Olmsted and Vox, the two of them designed so many parks and, and you know, public spaces throughout New York City. Their, their influence uh, is still felt today. And many of the spaces they designed, you know, back then are only slightly changed, if, if much at all, you know, over the years. Um, you know, but what's interesting in, in that that era of that early to mid-1800s, if you looked at around 110th Street near Broadway uh, before Bloomingdale Road, which is now known as Broadway, um, it was widened and straightened. And at that point in time, it was known as Dixonville uh, since it was the Dixon family that put up the wood frame houses and it was specifically meant to house at that time German and Irish immigrants. And, you know, as a result of, you know, these being, you know, immigrant areas and, you know, there was need for entertainment, um, saloons and dance halls started popping up and, you know, was a popular destination for younger crowds looking for a beer and a show. Uh, and of course, you know, during that period, attracting some vaudeville performances. Um, it, it was uh, compared to Coney Island and, and some even began calling the area Little Coney Island. Uh, I didn't even know that actually until I actually started, uh, you know, looking at you know the material and and you know started going through that. So that would kind of surprise me a little bit. And if you look at the late 1800s to early 1900s, um, you started having uh, new construction apartment buildings or uh, apartment homes in Morningside Heights, and 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 you know most of it was actually just designed by just a few. 
of the, you know, the, the pre, I guess the pre-worst architects of their era. Uh, and it was just a few firms, uh, the Paterno brothers, George Pelham, Neville, Baggy, and, uh, and, and uh, the firm of Schwartz and Gross. You know, so those, you know, few architectural firms, they were just, you know, they were the superstars and they actually did, you know, so many of the buildings. Uh, well, if you go to the, you know, start going to the mid 1900s, uh, you know, beyond time period, the city saw decay in the late eight, in the late 1950s, and you know, the revival kind of started in the 1980s to to a degree, but it was really the 1990s that really experienced huge improvements. Now, I I went to NYU you know, in, in the, the mid nineties, uh, you know, back then, you know, it was warned that if you go to visit friends up at Columbia, you know, that it, you know, could be a little rough, but it, it was at that time that the neighborhoods were changing so dramatically. And, uh, you know, and, and it's interesting because, you know, you talk to old time New York, New Yorkers, a lot of times they're like, yeah, you don't go above 110th street, you know, and so much has changed o o over the decades. You know, that, you know, I, I get people that hadn't visited in like 10 or, or 15 years and they're like, they're surprised just how much it's changed even since then. Um, so, you know, from that period, uh, you know, you know, we, we onward, we've started actually seeing quite a bit of improvements in terms of academics. And, and I think that's really at this point what Morningside is is best known for. Um, there's actually and, you know, I, I, I knew this previously, but until I started really just putting a pen to paper and, and really started working on this episode, it really didn't occur to me that there's actually seven major schools, uh, you know, for higher education. And, you know, keep in mind that Morningside is 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 pretty short neighborhood as a result. Um, you know, it's not that many blocks. It goes from roughly about 110th to 125th. It's only about 15 blocks long. And, you know, it's only a few avenues wide. So the concentration of all these higher educational programs, you know, is pretty intense. And you're talking about seven major schools. Now, the, the most prominent of, of these schools is obviously Columbia University. It was originally known as King's College back when the British ruled America, and it was renamed after our independence. Um, you know, so obviously, you know, uh, King's College and, 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 and Columbia, you know, have a history, you know, in New York that go way, way back. Um, then there's Barnard. Uh, it's actually only four acres in total. And it was created because women weren't permitted to take classes at Columbia. Uh, they'd be given a syllabus and an exam. Uh, if the woman had passed the exam, she could get a de degree. So, you know, uh, now Barnard today is obviously, you know, a, a, you know, a, a, a you know, a women's, you know, learning education institution. And as a result, um, it, it's separate and, and distinct from Columbia. But at the same time, um, when you get your degree from Barnard, you you know it does have Columbia University, you know, or, or you know uh, you know referenced on that degree. Um, 
there's also Teachers College, and you know, an interesting fact of Teachers College, it's got the oldest pool still in use in New York City, and one of the old, uh, it, it, you know, oldest pool, and it's one of the oldest in in the nation. Uh, it was built as part of the largest gymnasium for women in the country too. Uh, but Teachers College is, you know, is well known for their, you know, the, some of the highest standards that you can find for the, you know, for people that are pursuing the, you know, education as a career. Uh, Manhattan School of Music is located there. Again, one of the most prestigious schools in, you know, in the nation for music. You've got Bank Street. You know, College of Education, uh, also you know, top top educational tier. You've got Union Theological Seminary, and I guess you know, at this point, you know, going back to our you know my my career in real estate is uh, Union Theological Seminary, and we'll talk about Jewish Theological Seminary also in in uh, right around the corner. Um, you know, but Union Theological Seminary. Uh, you know, needed the buildings needed quite a a bit of investment, uh, and one way of doing that is, and you know, the building is, uh, you know, now doing hard hat tours, and you know, clo first closings are going to be coming up soon. Uh, maybe by the time that this episode drops to the public, uh, it'll actually be live. Um, but Union Theological Seminary, what they did is in order to raise money to maintain their buildings, um, they've agreed to allow a developer to build condos above one of the university buildings. So the lower, I believe, uh, it, it, the building name is, is called Claremont Hall at 100 Claremont Avenue. Uh, and uh, I believe the building actually starts you know, there's a lobby level, but then it goes, you know, uh, uh, above that, you know, floors two through nine are part of Union Theological Seminary, and floors 10 uh, on up are, you know, for the condominium. Um, so it, it is a, you know, a luxury building, absolutely beautiful. Um, but, you know, it's just important to know that, you know, that's the current connection with real estate. Um, Jewish Theological Seminary America is literally around the corner from Union Theological. And they they went and, you know, took a slightly different approach to the same issue as they, you know, the buildings needed, you know, modernization and updating and maintenance. Um, and they sold a parcel to a developer and, you know, that property is now Vanderwater. And between Vanderwater and, you know, Claremont Hall, they're both excellent luxury buildings. Uh, something that was kind of actually, I, I actually believe was needed because um, most of, you know, the neighborhood, especially with shortage of housing with Columbia uh, and all these educational uh, institutions, you know, people coming from all around the world, uh, you know, there was always a shortage of, you know, of, of housing in that area. People wanted to be close by. So, you know, this adds quite a number of housing units to the, the neighborhood, and it was an interesting and unique way to do it. Uh, other notable institutions, you know, that, you know, I, I think are worth mentioning in this in this episode is the Cathedral of St. John the Divine. It's actually the world's sixth largest church by area. Uh, it's considered unfinished with only about two-thirds of the original plan completed. Yet at the same time, it's the sixth largest church in the world. So, you know, even as it's un uh, 
you know, still remains incomplete, you know, it's still massive. Uh, work began on the cathedral and uh, construction on it in 1893, and builders unexpectedly hit deep, soft shell pockets instead instead of the expected bedrock. So they kept drilling deep shafts until they hit bedrock and then filled it with concrete. Uh, the 600-foot-long cathedral opened in 1941. Obviously, <laughs> there's a big difference from 1893 to 1941, so it took them a long time uh, before they could actually open it, you know, because the soft ground. Uh, but when it, it did open in 1941, it was the second largest in the world behind St. Peter's Basilica. Uh, and then work stopped after the attack on, on Pearl Harbor and didn't again, begin again until 1978 on the two Western Towers, which extended their heights by 150 feet. And, you know, yet again, this it kind of helps explain, you know, why it's unfinished. Work stopped again in 1992 due to lack of funds. And in 2001, a fire pushed back any plans for finishing the remaining third of the plan. <laughs> oh, that's quite a bit. I mean, as it's the sixth largest and, and it was only two-thirds built. Crazy. So, uh, you know, another interesting point about it is that Keith Herring, the artist, uh, his last work before his death was The Life of Christ. There are nine versions of this trick tech cast in bronze covered in white gold, one of which is located in St. John's the Divines, the National AIDS Memorial. Uh, and occasionally uh, on special events or, or you know, uh, such as like Open House New York, occasionally the cathedral will allow visitors access to its roofs, allowing for not only unique vista of the city, but also for close-ups with some of its beautiful stained glass windows, some of which hold world records. Uh, so this is a pretty cool place, and and you know this is coming from a guy that is not not uh, Christian. So um, occasionally, uh, the, you know, the the campus of the cathedral uh, allows visitors to stroll through a biblical garden where the different plants of all species that are mentioned in the Bible. Uh, I don't think the peacocks are there anymore, but you know I know that there were uh, peacocks on site. Uh, there's 15,000 honey, 15, honeybees, and there was also the Peace Fountain designed in 18, uh, 1985 by Greg Wyatt. The fountain was created to mark the 200th anniversary of the Diocese of New York. It depicts the Archangel Michael embracing one of nine giraffes after his defeat of Satan. There's also a lion lying down on, on a label, and the fountain's spiraling base uh, represents a double helix of DNA. So this is, you know, where, you know, I guess science and faith, uh, you know, intersect. And, you know, I think that's pretty cool. Um, and, and uh, you know, another notable institution worth mentioning uh, in Morningside, uh, Riverside Church. And if you go to the upper floors of, uh, of Claremont Hall, you'll actually get a up-close uh, ver version of it. It's the tallest church in the U.S. and the 24th tallest in the world at 392 feet tall. Uh, it's got the 14th largest organ in the world and uh, numerous statues of science uh, scientists. So again, the intersection of science and faith. Uh, and believe it or not, the Riverside Church used to also have a bowling alley in its basement. Uh, I don't know what since become of the bowling alley, but uh, but that's you know certainly 
unusual and unexpected uh, to find in a church. Uh, one of the other, you know, awesome sites I mentioned, um, Grant's Tomb, and we're actually going to have a whole discussion discussion on Grant's tomb in a future episode, but it, it it is the tomb of Ulysses S. Grant and his wife, Julia. So when you get the trivia question, who's who's buried in Grant's tomb, Grant and his wife, Julia. Um, so, you know, that, that always send, tends to come up. Absolutely beautiful monument. The Parks Department, you know, uh, has a place where you can, you know, uh, get information on the site. Um, you can take self-guided tours. It is absolutely spectacular site. Um, and I think before we wrap up this episode, I got to get into pop culture a little bit. And we'll talk about more about this in a future episode as well. Tom's Diner. Um, so I normally in most of my episodes, I'm trying to make things uh, kind of timeless, you know, so that if you listen to the episode a few years ago, uh, a few years from now, then you'll be able to hear, you know, some of the same, you know, uh, you know, things and, and visit the same places that are mentioned in the episodes. So, you know, I'm, I'm less keen on, on mentioning restaurants that might kind of change hands or, or names or go out of business or, or whatnot. Um, but here's one that's really worth mentioning um, because it comes up in pop culture quite a bit. Um, you know, um, Monk's Diner in Seinfeld is actually based on Tom's Diner uh, in Morningside Heights of Broadway in 112th. And it was also, you know, famous for the Suzanne Vega song, Tom's Diner. So, of course, that is, uh, you know, the reason why I'm mentioning it. There's more to discuss on the building associated with Tom's Diner and connection to NASA, which we'll discuss in a future episode. But, uh, yeah, for now, you know, I think this kind of gives you a, a sense and uh, a good rundown of just, you know, some interesting sites in Morningside Heights, as, along with it's not just known for Columbia, but, you know, it's many, you know, higher educational uh, facilities that are, you know, that are based in the neighborhood. And considering it's, it's, it's a pretty small neighborhood, that's pretty impressive. Well, thank you so much for listening to us again. This is an, uh, another episode of Harlem Stories. We hope to always bring you great content and interesting things. We're not historians, but we like to talk about history. So hopefully we brought some interesting points, for food for thought for you. And, you know, when you go to visit these neighborhoods or, you know, maybe you live near them or in them. And, you know, maybe we brought you something of interest to listen to. So thank you so much for listening and we will speak to you soon.